Hey, good morning from Gladden Longevity. <clears throat> I'm Dr. Jeffrey Gladden, um, and I'd like to talk to you this morning a little bit about our circles of longevity. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a deeper look into that. On a previous live stream, I walked you through the circles of longevity <clears throat> and how we basically feel like optimal health and optimal longevity are a function of uh, basically focusing on things that truly develop longevity, then truly develop health, and then truly develop performance. Because what we've found is that people are really interested in performance. Uh, when you talk to people about longevity, it's like, eh, well, that's a good idea, but you know, what's that gonna look like? Or if you talk to people about health, it's like, oh, I feel pretty healthy. But if you talk to people about performance, it's like, you mean I'm gonna be able to play the best golf of my life when I'm 90, I'm gonna be able to race my car, I'm gonna be able to snowboard with my grandkids, they get excited about that. I'm gonna be able to run my business, make love to my partner, whatever it is. They get really excited about that. So what we've come to understand is that if you wanna perform well in life and do that for a long time, you have to focus on the performance pieces and you have to focus on the health pieces, but you actually really need to focus on the longevity pieces. And this is true if you're 26 years old or if you're 96 years old. Obviously, the bias changes a little bit as you go through life. And I will <clears throat> talk to you a little bit about the different approaches that happen in the different decades of life also. But what I want to show you right here is these are the, the key points on our, um, the key levers, if you will, on our circle of longevity. So optimizing a growth mindset um, is critical. And the one I'm going to pick out to talk to you about today is going to be senescent cells. But I just want you to see that out of these 18 things, the nine hallmarks of aging are all covered here, but a number of these are related to mindset, right? We find that there are a lot of people that basically, yeah, I'm 55, I'm getting ready to retire. Um, you know, I've got 10 more things on my bucket list. And then it's like, what do I have to live for? Right? Whereas our attitude is I'm 34 and I'm just getting started. I have a lot to live for, right? I wanna go, I just did a mountain bike ride with my grandson who's a little over, but not quite three years old. He was riding on my son's bike on a little saddle between my son and the handlebars. And the three of us did an hour long mountain bike ride, climbed 1500 feet, descended steep trails. And I have to tell you, it was a sheer joy to do a three generational mountain bike ride with my grandson for the first time. And when he's 10 years older, 15 years older, I want to be right there riding with them, right? So it's about performance, um, but it's also about longevity. So mindset is huge in that because I feel like I'm 34. I'm going to be 34 when he's 16. That way we still get to ride together, you see. Without that mindset, it'll never happen. Um, optimizing mental health and relational health, incredible. There's so much depression, anxiety, stress that goes on in life. These become things that really impact your longevity. They shorten your telomeres, they lower your immune system function, make you more susceptible to cancer, to COVID, whatever else. So another mindset that's incredibly important and unhealthy stress management, learning how to mitigate that and eliminate that. We're big fans of meditation. Um, I've also joined a, a group uh, with Dr. Barry Morgulin called the Energy for Success Group um, and I'm also part of a strategic coach. And all those groups, basically, in addition to my own meditation practice, really help keep me focused and lower my stress levels, whether it's regards to relationships, work, uh, 
personal health, whatever it is. And I really encourage you to go down that path. Optimizing spiritual health. I think this is a, the place that you get to when you do meditate. You basically get to a place of equanimity, right? You're at peace. You're at peace with the world. You're at peace with yourself. There's a sense of spiritual connection to everyone and everybody. There's a sense of love that happens. And this is a very, very important place to get to, a very, very important place to visit and actually work from every day. So we love that. And, and it's been shown over and over again that people that are in that place have much lower stress on their biochemistry. They live longer. They're happier. They get sick less. So in other words, spiritual health is really, really important. And then optimizing our regeneration potential. This will be a topic for another conversation. But how do you boost stem cell function? How do you actually couple that with different signaling peptides and things like that that create a cascade for healing and regeneration? That will be a great topic. Then optimizing our genomic stability. Um, DNA destruction and repair um, are a big part of longevity. There was a study that was just published out of Italy looking at people that are uh, centenarians, actually semi-centenarians, and supercentenarians. So a semi-centenarian, a centenarian, of course, is somebody that makes it to 100. A semi-centenarian is somebody that makes it to 105. And a supercentenarian is somebody that makes it to 110. So they looked at the genetics of these people that made it to 105 and 110, and they found that they were gifted in their ability to repair their DNA, okay? So you can, you can eat healthy, you can exercise, you can sleep, you can do all these other things, but if you don't have those genetic gifts to repair your DNA, then your chances of making it to 110 are much less. And this is where we're getting into the realm of gene editing. So how do we actually at some point, and this is really not that far off because it's already being done under certain circumstances, how do we get to a point where we can safely, without unintended consequences, potentially edit our genes in a way that allow us to have better DNA repair. And there's lots of things that we can do in the interim to improve DNA repair. That will also be the topic of another live stream conversation here. Um, minimizing our genetic liabilities. So what's important there is, um, do you know what cards you've been dealt, right? So we do full genome sequencing on all of our clients. We um, we want to understand what cards have they been dealt? Are they, do they have a gene for breast cancer that they didn't know they had? Do they have a gene for Alzheimer's that they didn't know they had? Do they think they have genes for Alzheimer's based on their family history? But in actual fact, they didn't inherit those genes, right? So <clears throat> it's really important to understand the cards you're dealt. You can't play this hand called life if you don't understand what cards you're playing. And it's really important to understand those liabilities because all of those liabilities can be addressed. Um, it's just a question of whether or not you know what you're doing. So minimizing genetic liabilities and then optimizing genetic assets. So all of us are a mix. I can tell you this in all the genetic testing we've done, I've never seen a perfect genome, right? Nobody is a perfect genome. We are all a mixed bag of some good, some not so good. Uh, and some not really good. <clears throat> so in terms of the assets, you basically want to really optimize those. So what are they? You know, are you built to be an endurance athlete? Are you more of a power athlete? Um, are you built to have, you know, a higher ability to manage oxidative stress so you could actually run an Ironman and not be damaging yourself? 
or you don't, right? So really, really important to kind of understand your assets as well as your liabilities. And then telomere links. So we all know telomere links are important. We know that there are other things that are important too, but optimizing those is dramatic. And we have access now to a product <clears throat> that uh, we're starting to research that is showing some incredible ability to re-lengthen telomeres. And I can tell you that in younger people in their 30s, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, when they take this product, they undergo a transformational change just from this product alone. Now, if we're trying to rebuild someone um, who's in their 70s or in their 60s or 80s, it takes a much more concerted approach. But one of the things that we're figuring out is that people that actually start earlier, the path may actually be simpler, right? It may be, it's a lot easier to prevent things from breaking down than it is to go in and repair all the things that are broken and then move it back to that younger state, right? So telomeres and, and focusing on telomeres early, we think is gonna be a, a good option there. The other thing about telomere lengths is that they correlate well with the aging process through midlife and into 70s and maybe 80s. But beyond that, they're not as reliable a clock. So just understand that. Um, <clears throat> Optimizing our epigenetic age and the rate of our aging. Now, epigenetic age really complements telomere lengths. Telomere lengths are the uh, end caps on your chromosomes that get shortened every time a cell divides. When they get short enough, your cell becomes senescent or undergoes apoptosis and kills itself. The epigenetic age is basically the degree to which your DNA has little methyl groups on it, a little carbon with three hydrogens get attached or not attached. And the pattern of those attachments are a very steady state clock throughout your life in terms of what your age is. Now, in the last five months, I've been able to lower my DNA age by 10 years, right? In the last five months, I've lengthened my telomeres by five years. I will tell you this, that there's a really interesting paper out there showing that people with COVID, and I had COVID about 16 months ago now, um, <clears throat> that it has a big impact on telomere lengths. The coronavirus actually will shorten your telomeres and it did that for me. So now I'm in the process of re-lengthening them, right? So how am I doing that? Well, that's a conversation for another talk, but it has to do with our research, a uh, couple of research protocols that we're involved in. Um, so <clears throat> basically um, the other thing that's been shown in this paper was that people that have short telomeres are much more susceptible to getting severe COVID. There's a higher percentage of people in the ICU with short telomeres. So maintaining your telomere lengths is actually very, very important. And then optimizing our immune function. I can tell you that epigenetically, my immune function is that of a 33 year old, right? And I claim to be 34. Chronologically, I'm a different age. I was born in 54. But it's possible to actually have a youthful and robust immune system. And I went through COVID like it was no big deal, basically. I was sick for a few days and then, and then fine. But we know from Greg Fahey's work that the immune system basically declines, particularly after about age 65, the immune system really declines because your thymus is involuted by the time you're in your early 30s. Your immune system is what it is at that point, and over time it wears out. There are studies that have been shown that we can reboot the immune system. We have other ways beyond 
Greg Fahey's studies with growth hormone DHEA and metformin to reboot the immune system using thymosin alpha-1 and using some stem cell procedures that we think are very, very helpful. Um, but we've been able to uh, show nice results there. And then optimizing uh, proteostasis. Well, what is proteostasis? Uh, it's basically how proteins are folded. As you go through life, proteins become misfolded, right? Um, the DNA gets transcribed and it's off a little bit in its transcription. The protein doesn't fold just right. And when you accumulate these misfolded proteins like tau and beta amyloid, um, it starts to clog up the works in the machinery. So clearing those out with autophagy, right, which is basically the body consuming those proteins, segregating them and putting them through the dumpster and recycling the components is a very, very important thing. You can induce autophagy with saunas, with spermidine, uh, with intermittent fasting or with fasting in general. Um, but it's very, very important to optimize your, your proteostasis. And then optimizing nutrient sensing. Um, very big area. You hear a lot about NAD, um, about NMN. You know, <clears throat> David Sinclair from Harvard, it's all about NMN. We need to activate MN, NMN to raise our NAD to NADH ratio, which is a measure of of energy status of the cell and oxidative stress in the cell. It also activates then these sirtuins and the sirtuins activate a lot of our longevity genetics. We love all that. I think all that makes perfect sense. Uh, we're heavily involved with that. In addition, it's about, it's about understanding glucose. So you have another system where you have insulin and you have IGF-1. Insulin sensing is related to blood sugar. IGF-1 um, is part of that system. They're anabolic hormones. So when you're well-fed, you have more insulin, you have more IGF-1, and it's good to build your system, but if you're only pressing on that gas pedal, you die sooner, right? Our bodies are designed to cycle through. Um, the IGF-1 also lines up with mTOR. mTOR is another molecule that is very anabolic. It builds bone, muscle, we like it, we look better, we feel good, but you don't wanna be on that gas pedal all the time. Its counterpart is AMPK. When you activate AMPK, you're basically now activating all your longevity genetics. You're repairing telomeres, you're repairing your DNA, you're activating sirtuins, et cetera, et cetera. And those become very, very important. So the way we think about it is that you need to cycle. You need to be on the gas pedal, be anabolic for a few days a week, step off, be catabolic for a few days a week, or maybe a week on, a week off, whatever the pattern is that you settle into, but you don't wanna be boosting growth hormone, boosting testosterone, um, keeping blood sugar levels up all the time, right? In fact, high blood sugars in general are bad for lots of different reasons, <clears throat> but the point is it's cycling through these phases of being building and then allowing your body to recycle, break down, replace, repair, those cycles are incredibly important. And then the next is um, optimizing mitochondrial function. Um, mitochondria are basically, they're the powerhouses of the cells, make ATP, but they're a lot more than that. They are actually the sentinel for the cell. If there's anything that's disrupting the cell, let's say you get COVID, let's say you get a bacterial infection or you have a chronic infection, the mitochondria is shut down. They don't want to be making a lot of ATP that those bacteria could be utilizing, right? So you feel weak, you feel tired when you get a cold, when you get sick. 
So optimizing mitochondrial function and being able to recover from being ill is a big deal. So for example, you have people with Lyme's disease. They're exposed to Lyme's, the mitochondria shut down ATP production. The mitochondria then have to move through three different stages to get back to normal production of, of ATP. It's called cellular uh, defense response. Dr. Navino out of UC San Diego has done a great job describing this. Stage one, two, and three. People get stuck in one, two, or three. They continue to feel tired. They have chronic fatigue. They have Lyme syndrome, et cetera. Being able to move people through that and getting them back to normal function is a big deal. And then optimizing your mitochondria uh, in a way to be able to manage oxidative stress, to burn more fat for fuel, these are all incredibly important topics. And the mitochondria, they're exposed to a lot of exhaust, if you will, of making ATP, the, the reactive oxygen species. Managing those becomes really important. And so we love molecular hydrogen for that. We also love plasmalogens for that. Uh, these are separate topics that we'll talk about. This is a little bit more of an introduction to the longevity circles here. And then, um, optimizing our senescent cell populations and their secretory status. This is a really, really important topic. I can tell you that in the nine hallmarks of aging, <clears throat> whether it's telomere attrition, DNA repair, uh, stem cell uh, loss, loss of function, immunosenescence, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, all those things funnel into creating senescent cells, right? So senescent cells become kind of a common denominator of uh, dysfunction, if you will, in the body. And the way I describe a senescent cell to a person is like you have a company and what if 15% of your employees all of a sudden became senescent and just put their heads on their desk, right? They're showing up every day, you're writing the check to pay them, but they just have their head on their desk. They're not doing anything. That's like a senescent cell. <clears throat> But what's, get, what's worse than that is they become secretory senescent cells. So in a secretory senescent cell, now they're releasing cytokines into the environment that are promoting inflammation, promoting cancer transformation, et cetera, et cetera. And now your employee with a head on the desk is sabotaging the copier, disconnecting the Wi-Fi. And imagine your company now trying to work with this polluted environment with these non-working cells. This is what happens in the acceleration of aging. Senescent cell populations increase, their secretory status increases, and all of a sudden your normal cells have a really hard time working. It's part of the reason that people ex experience so much more aging between say 80 and 90 than they did between 30 and 40. It's this cumulative effect that really starts to build up on us. So optimizing those populations and their secretory status. One of the things that we've been doing is apheresis. Apheresis is a procedure where I've had half my blood plasma removed and replaced with saline and albumin to get rid of secretory senescent factors, if you will. The convoys out at Berkeley pioneered this work, came out of the original young blood work and what they've been able to show is that if you take a young mouse and an old mouse and hook their circulations together, the old mouse gets young and the young mouse gets old. Well, they looked at, is it, is it blood? Is it something that the young mouse is giving the old mouse? Maybe there are factors there. Or is it more that the old mouse is giving the young mouse bad factors? And they were actually able to replicate the effects for the old 
mouse simply by replacing half its plasma volume with saline and albumin. They rebooted uh, the stem cells across all three different germ layers, endoderm, ectoderm, mesoderm, which means they could reboot stem cells across brain tissue, bone tissue, liver, heart, um, skin, all of it got rebooted. And so I've done this now six times, and it's really quite interesting to see the, uh, the boost in energy that you get just getting those senescent cytokines out of your system. So that's one piece of it. Then the other is to kill off the senescent cells. So let's say you could come into your um, business and you had the ability to clean up the pollution and fire the senescent cells. That's essentially what's important. Um, and so there are senolytics out there. There's rapamycin, there's fisetin, there's FOXO4-DRI. These are all different kinds of molecules that will go in and kill senescent cells. And the state of the art on killing senescent cells right now is to do it in a not a continual manner, but to do it in a hit and run manner, where you come in, you do something at a fairly high dose, say six, six <clears throat> uh, milligrams of uh, rapamycin once a week, and um, let that go to work, or you hit yourself with fisetin, five, six grams, do that once or twice a week, and then step back. This hit and run technology uh, is really, I think, the approach. But what's interesting about senescent cells is let's say that we want to utilize stem cells. Let's say we want to utilize telomerase. Let's say we want to utilize other things that are going to help us repair ourselves. You have to clean up the senescent situation first. If you're basically taking your star Olympic athletes, right, your stem cells, your signaling peptides, your telomerase, all those things, and you're sending them into a city to compete and run a marathon, that has polluted air, polluted water, the food isn't good, how well are they going to perform, right? They're not going to perform, they're not going to have the opportunity to perform very well. We think it's incredibly important to address senescence first, clean up the environment, take out those senescent cells, and then drop in your star athletes, if you will. So this is part of the protocol that we're, that we're developing here. So um, optimizing stem cell function and self-renewal. It turns out that we have stem cells in our systems that are truly pluripotent that we didn't know about. They're called very small embryonic-like stem cells. We're in the middle of researching those right now as well. <clears throat> very excited about that possibility because when you start to layer these technologies together, all of a sudden you can get this much bigger bounce than if you're just focused on stem cells. It's all about stem cells. No, it's all about peptides. No, it's all about senescent cells. No, it's all about telomerase. Those approaches are never gonna work. You basically need to be layering these things together to actually get the balance that's possible. And then optimizing intracellular communication and inflammation, um, super important topic. It turns out that there are molecules out there called plasmalogens that are a backup uh, molecule for oxidative stress. It turns out they also have dramatic impact on cancer risk, heart disease risk, dementia risk, um, and we're able to test for them now. We're able to actually boost their levels. Very, very excited about this because it also decreases inflammation and inflammaging. And so we're very excited to go down this path as well. Uh, and that'll be a topic for another, another conversation. And then lastly, optimizing circadian rhythm is on here. And you might say, well, why is circadian rhythm on there? And the reason is that because people that um, are shift workers, they are much sicker, they die 10 years sooner, 
if you're not basically in sync with your circadian rhythm, um, your biology really gets thrown off. So we like things like melatonin when we travel. We like using melatonin in general because it tends to sync the uh, circadian rhythm. So paying attention to that, not pulling all-nighters, not uh, going to bed on time, if you will, getting up when your body's ready to wake up, not using an alarm to wake up. I don't ever wake up to an alarm, you know, unless I have a flight to catch. So um, I think that's really, really important too. So this is a bit of a preview of what's in the circle of longevity. I also wanted to, to make special note of, um, of the senescent cell piece and how central that is to this whole process. And then let you know about plasmalogens, which are kind of a newer factor for us that we're super excited about. So I hope that gives you a little bit of a feel for kind of how we're going about this, how we're thinking about it. And it really is an interlacing, interwoven approach that actually gets this done. So it's been great uh, spending a few minutes with you. I hope that's helpful. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon.